And we are live. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Dash Podcast. This is a special episode number 200, and we have only the specialist guests here with us, Education Power. We've got David McDonald, Andre Ross, Dr. Shantoria Walker, and Danielle Ross. They're a very dynamic organization um, who I've had the pleasure of following and, and buying things from and partnering with as well. Um, so I'm, I'm just really excited to have y'all on board and, and, and to get things rolling. So we're still a little bit early. Um, it's it's pre-705, but uh, just kind of want to get comfortable before the real show starts. How y'all doing tonight? Doing good. Doing great. Good. Good, good, good. No complaints on this end. I, look, man, I love it. Let me go ahead and get, um. I'm going to get my Instagram live up going too, if I know how to do that. Let's see. And then we'll have everything up live as a button. I promise y'all I'm still kind of young when I want to be. Okay. So I think I'm live on, on there too. So I'm going to try to go back and forth uh, between everything. I'm, I'm doing a little bit um, of the most now. And I think, uh, you know, now might be a, a good moment to reminisce a little bit. You know, I think. We started in, in February of uh, 2017. So it's been four years and some change since the Dash has come out. But, you know, it really started as an idea of adding value consistently for free. And I think that's a tone that's, that's driven us 200 episodes. You know, the content has changed a little bit from, you know, kind of what you see, what questions I have now was more about what is your passion what is your pur purpose? What is the process of you making that a reality? And then we've got much more education focused, but I think the root is still the same in that, you know, I'm trying to add value every week, you know, every week for four years, we provide a, a piece of content that's SEL or education driven with special guests like yourself. And so it's, um, someone told me uh, a couple of years ago that, you know, people don't care about too much, but you just got to do the work. And so this is one of my ways of, of doing the work and, and giving myself. So, um, yeah, that's that's a little piece of the background. And while we kind of do that background, too, if, if one of y'all as well, so education powered, y'all do a lot of different things. You have a lot of different brands. Can y'all take us through? Um, we're still in the pre-interview now, so, so, you know, we're just getting warmed up. But can you give us an overview of how y'all started just a year ago? Ooh, so it's actually been a couple of years. It's been a couple of years. So it, some things have started last year. But um, mm -hmm. so Education Power actually was founded in August of 2017. So actually a couple of months after your podcast was launched, you know, we, um, you know, got our official business license and things like that to make Education Power official um, legally, but had not yet like launched um, mm -hmm. until February 2019. And so in between those, what was that about a year and a half um it, it meant like you know getting with andre and danielle and we became co-founders together um to build this vision together of like what the, what is education power going to look like right i know that we have aspirations for training and development for the benefit of black students um we have ideas for supporting black educators um and just a lot, a lot of big dreams and visions right and so we got together and figured out what does that look like in combination right and then Later down the line, we met Dr. Walker, who came in and changed the game as well. Yeah. So she joined our team, and with the vision has just been growing ever since. So that's a little bit about some context. I don't know if anybody else want to add in some of the particulars in between the last couple of years of how things have grown and expanded. 
Well, I always like to take it back to the from jump jump. So me, <laughs> David, and Danielle all uh, taught at the same school. Um, okay. And I think one of the biggest problems that we ran into as novice teachers is really finding material that actually piqued our students' interest that allowed them to kind of reach up to the rigor level uh, that was necessary um, and to make the, the learning engaging, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think there's a lot of, we spent a lot of time uh, during those first couple of years creating things and um, staying up late nights, just making sure that we could create the type of experience that would change the trajectory of how students view education, mm. right? That was our ultimate goal. And so I think from jump, that has always been the underlying foundation of what Education Powered is all about. It's about empowering educators to be able to continue going forward and pushing the needle forward to give our students what they need. Mm. I see the play on words there a little bit too. Education powered, empowered educators. See, I, so you know, I think it's seven oh five now. I'll say welcome again. I see a few people that are um, coming on to the live with us now. So just again, hearing your story, I just feel such a connection with um, empowering educators and with the brand that you guys display. And so what I what's been kind of a, a big deal for me since the pandemic started as well is, is reaching out to folks like yourself and to uh, other organizations. We Restore More, SE, Lessons for SEL, different organizations, especially young Black organizations that are doing this work in this industry. And, and um, I'm going to go pop culture here. I don't know if y'all seen the stuff with Kwame Brown and um, Gilbert Arenas and, and all them guys. And it's, it's a little too much. It's a little too much, but I can see where Kwame Brown is coming from. You know, why is there so much hate between people that look like us? Why can't we collaborate um, and do more work? So, you know, I feel like what over the process of the last year or the last couple of years, you know, um, Andre, you specifically, what, what do you feel like you've learned about yourself on this journey and, and how is that propelling you to get to your next level? Man, I, I've learned so much about myself in uh, this education journey, man. I think um, the one thing, though, that I think I lean on pretty much uh, more, more often than not is just the fact that every new level of leadership demands a new, new person, a new you, right? Mm. So I try to keep that perspective as we continue to build our organization out. Um, as we are adding new people to our org and adding new staff members and continuing to grow our business is that it's going to take an another level of responsibility for us all to take. It's going to take another level of learning uh, and wisdom that we're trying to connect with. Um, it's going to take a lot more out of you to whom much is given as much is required. And I think that's the kind of the motto that I've learned over the years as I've continued to grow my leadership, not just in the classroom, but into coaching uh, teachers and into professional development and workshops is what we do now. Um, and so I think that's what I've learned mostly is that every new level demands a new version of you. Mm, I like that. That's very well said. I, I see some more smiles there as well. Dr. Walker, do you have something to say? Um, yeah, so I can add to that. So um, I'm Dr. Shantoria Walker. I um, started teaching, so I'm from Houston, Texas. Mm. And I went to UT with David and Danielle. And um, one of the beautiful things is that I was able, when I became a teacher, I was able to teach in the neighborhood I grew up in. I'm from Trinity Gardens, Houston, Texas. A lot of the kids that were there actually 
um, I knew I brought a unique perspective, right, to the campus. I was the first teacher to ever teach in that building that actually came from the community. Mm. And so it was something that um, the kids really just took to me at an all-boys campus. Um, and, and you can just imagine some of the deficits that a lot of people put on them, including society. Um, and so I just took the time to really figure out who they were. I was told that they were going to fail. Um, they were, I had the highest special ed in the district, highest emotionally disturbed in the district, told that they weren't going to be much. Um, and then within my first year, um, some of my scores were some of the highest in the district. Um, and so I went ahead and pursued my doctorate um, in uh, professional leadership and culturally responsive pedagogy um, and with an emphasis in literacy. And then I found this awesome team right here. And I was like, yes, this is, this is my family, right? Um, I think over the time, um, one of the things that I have grown into being is um, being unapologetically me um, and really bringing that educational perspective that I wish I had growing up. Um, I say this a lot because of where I came from. I was told often that I wasn't going to be much, um, whether in the media, whether um, in the neighborhood. It's just stuff that we didn't see. Mm -hmm. I always saw my neighborhood on First 48 um, and stuff like that. And so I just really wanted to bring a different perspective to those boys. Um, and in turn, that actually changed my life um, mm -hmm. education and really um, then I found this powerhouse right here, um, and now I serve as the executive director, one of the best decisions I could have ever made, yeah. but, um, and just growing into what type of educator I wanted to be, that's really what changed uh, me over time since I started figuring out who I wanted to be, who I wanted to represent, who I wanted to advocate for, whether at the state level, local level, policy you know, in the classroom, outside the classroom, in leadership positions. So that's really something that um, I bring um, to the mm -hmm. table and what I found out about myself. Yeah, yeah, that's that's awesome, man. I mean, I think there's there's something to be said about your own journey and your upbringing and, and the role that plays in who you become ultimately. I know in my situation, I moved to, I went to 11, we moved 11 times before I graduated high school and went to about eight different schools. And so, you know, that helped build me into a stronger man, but it could have broke me. Um, and so I but I want to give back and recognize that, you know, the kids, there's just these few coaches, these few teachers, these few mentors, these few parents or friends that help me continue to climb the ladder, continue to progress, even if it's only incrementally. You know, you guys um, have a big focus in culturally responsive teaching. And so, you know, over the past year specifically, Everybody knows about SEL now. Everybody knows about anti-bias, anti-racist, culturally responsive. But how much of that is just on the surface and how much do we really, are we really studying? Are we really practicing this? And so, you know, y'all are in the classrooms. Y'all are working with the teachers. Um, talk to me a bit about culturally responsive teaching and, and how that's driving uh, education power to impact students. Um, I guess I'll hop in here now. Uh, hey, everyone. I am Danielle Ross, one of the co-founders with Education Powered. Um, and in my daytime, uh, my nine to five, really, which I consider my side hustle, uh, is I work as an administrator at a middle school. And so um, really just speaking to this idea of culturally responsive teaching is super prevalent to what I do on a consistent basis, because that's what I'm looking for in my teachers is like, how are we being responsive? Um, and so really the work that we do with Education Power is start to shift mindsets around what culturally responsive teaching looks like. Because I think the misconception that exists is that there's a checklist of things 
or there's a poster or songs that you can play and you all of a sudden become this super responsive teacher. And that's not actually it. Um, it's how we think about our students. Um, it's how we're interacting with them. How do we um, engage with their families, right? And starting to get educators to shift their mindset around putting our responsibility on students and families to taking that power back and bringing different experiences in the classroom. And so like even this morning, we facilitated um, a professional development session with the Uplift Education. I mean, we really focused on the instructional aspect, but really what it led to was to shift people's mindsets from thinking that like teachers are the experts of all things, mm. right? Like how do we allow students to be the leaders in the classroom? How do teachers begin to learn from their students just as much as uh, students learn from them? Um, and so when you think about this idea of culturally responsive teaching, it's, it's, it's truly the person. Um, it's how dedicated you want to be. How committed do you want to be? Um, and how can you shift your mindset to think about ways of developing the holistic child and not just in the academic space? So, mm -hmm. so, so man, I, that's pretty good, Danielle. I, I like that. It's spoken like a true middle school principal or administrator as well. I think that's, <laughs> You know some of the most challenging places and and truly i think where the kids find themselves I, I think of it middle school this is personal we might have some bias here daniel you and i but i feel like middle school is where you transition from that child to adolescence in those three years you really find yourself and i feel like you know i know they talk a lot about you know third grade or, or catching people where do we catch them at middle school in my mind is the sweet spot to really integrate and implement um these different practices you mentioned something else and it's, it's come around, come up maybe once or twice, but um, I see you shaking your head already, David, asset versus deficit. I've heard it in, in everything that we've all said already. Can we just take a minute to, to go deeper in that and what does that mean? David, we'll start with you. Okay, are y'all sure y'all want me to start with it? Cause please, you please. know, I can come out and take us a whole different direction, but uh, go ahead. Let's go. so. One thing that I think that is really unique about Education Powered and just like the type of work that we do is that we're not afraid to talk about um, the true things that are impacting education, i.e. racism, i.e. anti-blackness, um, the way that we view our parents and our students and our communities, right? And that's something that a lot of that we, when we talk about culture responsive teaching, we're often skate around that, right? And that there is a history of um, a, a racism, right, in education and that impacts how we do things how we teach, how we interact with parents, how we, uh, you know, view learning as a whole, right? And so being able to talk about what does it look like to interrogate our anti-Blackness beliefs and like the things that we do for our, for our students in our, in our communities, right? I think that's very important when we talk about training and development. And so we're not afraid to embed that into some of the work that we're, that we're doing and we're actually dig into that and say, are we treating our students differently because of our own beliefs and biases about them, right? And oftentimes the answer is yes. And so when it, connecting that to the asset versus deficit, um, you know, topic, I think that it's important to think about, you know, what communities and what schools are we looking at with asset, with, with the asset view, yeah. what students, our parents and families are we looking at with a deficit view. And yeah. oftentimes it, it's, it's not good, right? But the truth is black students and black communities get a deficit view, not mm -hmm. how right? Those yeah. facts are not, don't quote me if I, that's not the right statistics, but <laughs> if there was a way to measure it, I'm, a lot of people, that's the truth, right? Black students yeah. and black communities and schools are uh, more likely to have certain views against them. So, but I'm gonna stop there. I, I mean, I think there's, 
you know, I want, I want somebody else to jump in as well. But I think it's even when you think about when, when somebody thinks about education powered or culturally responsive teaching, they might immediately think, oh, that's that's going to help us fix so many problems. Oh, that you know, we're going to help bridge these deficits. How do we bridge these deficit gaps? Or SEL, oh, that's for them kids over there. They really need SEL. That's that's a deficit. As simple as that is, as benevolent as that is, you're, you're thinking about how to fix something which implies that we're broken. We're, we're not broken. You know, we're, we're, we're building ourselves up using the assets, the tools, the talents that exist in uh, beautiful black children, uh, all, you know, black, white, everybody, you know, we're building the assets is the goal to focus on. No, it's, we're not building a deficit. We're, we're creating assets. We're creating opportunities for our kids to, to grow, lead, and experience. Any other comments on the um, asset versus deficit base? Um, yeah, I can add to it. So my um, actual research is using culturally responsive teaching to influence literacy achievement for Black male students in particular. And I talk about the deficit mindset a lot of times in my research. And what happens or what I found is that when teachers, um, a lot of times, like we said, we enter the buildings with our deficit mindset. And we might not think it, but if you're in that teacher's lounge and you say, eh, that student might not, you know, he gave us a lot of problems last week. Or, you know, they might not be that well. That's how we answer. And we usually schools and school districts are, are reactive too because of the deficit and not proactive in building the community within the school system. And so a lot of times what I found is a lot of the black male students that I would teach, what I was teaching, would take on that deficit mindset from the adults right? They probably didn't even hear what was being yeah. said within the building, but they would sit in the classroom and not believe in themselves because mm. of the deficit mindset that was being said or heard around the school building. So I had to do things to combat myself and combat that deficit mindset within the classroom. Um, and so a lot of times I think as teachers and, and sometimes we just go to the building and just teach and we do our job and we leave, those thoughts and that energy that we're bringing and not not mm. starting with thinking that these kids are they have strengths they can't come like you said um, and knowing everything yet saying oh they don't know much they all failed they didn't do well those kids take on that and that becomes their identity and then what have we done down the line if that's something that they take on as a personal piece right and so those are two pieces that in the asset versus deficit even if we're not intentional about saying it in front of them they still take that on if the school environment is actually um around the deficit mindset so man i, I mean and it's not you and i are not um uh, not able to have the same bias or deficit. You know, I, I've been teaching this semester at, at my nine to five too. And I tell you what, there's some days where I'm tired of my kids. There's some days where I'm ready to go home that I struggle, but, but I teach who I am in the class. So I can, there's a way to be open and authentic. And um, I know we had the conversation before about um, tough love. It, it's not tough love, more like real love, I guess, if you will, um, because we're bringing our whole self into that classroom and, and, there was, I think there was a restorative practice micro-credential I was working on last year. And we had to do a um, activity called the circle of efficacy. And I had to look at the students that I struggled to reach and teach and the ones that I was successful at reaching and teaching. And what I found where my bias was is I, I am attracted to students that act like me. And the ones that are outgoing, the ones that are talkative, the ones that are gonna say how they feel or even emotional, but the ones that are quiet, a little more subdued that aren't 
are going to be the first to raise their hands, I tend to avoid those kids. So I, I've been more intentional about not dismissing that child or ignoring that child because they're not speaking up, but finding other ways to give them attention, acknowledge them and bring them into our community. Um, I, I'm there. So you're right, David, I guess you did just open it up in, in all the directions. Uh, so let, let me reel it back in then just a little bit in, in thinking about um, perhaps from Danielle or Andre, you know, what is the success that you feel or the reward that you feel from being able to give a student who you are? Because when you know you're doing the right thing, when you know you're in the right classroom or, or you're on assignment, there's, there's something different that hits when I, I had a student today that was mad at me all day, even blocked me on the Google Hangouts. And at the end of the day, added me back and was like, hey, Mr. Trey, thanks for putting up with me today. Like, hey, you know what? I'll, I'll take that. You know what? That's a that's a that's a success for me. Um, what are some of the things that keep y'all going? Man, if I, I can definitely resonate with that, because um, a lot of the students that I taught in my very first year um, in the classroom, they are all seniors now. Mm. Uh, so getting ready for prom, getting ready for college and getting ready for all these things. And it's just a beautiful thing to watch, you know, after a couple of years has gone by and you remember those kids that were just knuckleheads at the beginning of the year. Um, and now to see where they are and to see where they're headed with their futures and their lives, I think that's the biggest reward. I think, you know, anything inside my classroom, of course, you want students to be able to achieve. Of course, you want, um, you know, you want to be able to make that positive phone call home and say, hey, your, your student is really making making progress. And this, these are the great things that I've seen. But I think the, the true impact to me can be seen, you know, when those relationships are still strong, you know, a couple of years down the line. And they're yeah. now sending you pictures of, you know, their 18th birthday celebration, or they're sending you pictures of their graduation photos or, you know, their prom photos. I think those are the moments that you really get to know who your students are um, and what they desire and how you've helped them get to that point. Just knowing that you played a small part um, in the trajectory of where they're headed with their lives. Cause all of these kids, they have great things in them. Um, and I think one of the, the biggest rewards that you get as an educator is being able to see them tap into that potential. Mm. Um, and so I think those things are the, the biggest standout points to me um, outside of the things that of course we want to see in the classroom. Yeah, yeah, that's very well said. Very well said. How about you, Danielle? Anything to add to that? Um, I think the first thing that I would say is that every day uh, students get the real me. <laughs> I have pressed past the yeah. political or the right way to speak to students or engage with students because the only environments that I've ever worked in are students who majority look like me. And mm. so I think for me, the biggest impact and the biggest success is when we we have those learning moments, those aha moments, and not just even in the classroom, even when we're talking about relationships, when we're talking about building leadership, all of these different things. Prime example, right? It's the end of the year. These kids are wilding, like every day they be wilding. And it's like, I want to get out of here just as much as you want to get out of here, <laughs> but you're going to get out of here in one piece. We have this whole big thing with uh, the young ladies where they're in middle school. So is she like him? He like him? She get on my nerves because I liked him first. And I, and I love to give them 100% of me and give them that real. And for them, 
to be able to have conversations with each other to see how ridiculous they sound. And so they can begin to build those relationships in a positive way. And so when I have a student that comes to me today and be like, I took what you said, Miss Ross, and me and such and such, we good now. I understand where you was coming from. Mm -hmm. Great. And you did that on your own, right? And it's those moments of like, wow, I never had someone tell me that what I was doing, I could think about this a different way. Or I can think, or I can handle this situation in a different way. And my hope, right, is that they take those lessons and they let those lessons guide them even beyond when Mrs. Ross isn't there anymore to help them be better people, to help them be better leaders. Um, and so that's truly what's impactful for me, right? I tell my kids all the time, like, don't just talk it, be about it. And they, and I just love when they have those moments where we're like, you know, I did this today, or I had this conversation today, or I got in trouble last night, but I showed up better today. And I'm like, absolutely, because that's who that's who you are. That's what you're meant to do. Um, and so I know for me, that's what I particularly enjoy. And I think that that's truly where the impact Man. exists in those conversations, in those relationships. I'm I'm so glad we're recording this. That That is so good. I feel like that that summarizes, you know, a lot of even my experience this year. I, I tend to work a little bit backwards in my own career and where you're coming from right now, Danielle and, and Andre. I'm, I'm just feeling it so much and I'm soaking it all in, in a lot of ways because I, I, this is my first year working full time in a, in a middle school or K-12 role, like every day in the school. I've been in schools for the past five years, but every day being a student, this is my first time. And so like what what you're saying and, and those opportunities, you know, you you got to really tough it out with the kids. And like you said, the political this, that I'll go out there and play kickball with you. But we get back in that classroom, you got to work, you, you got to do what I'm asking you to do, and I'm not playing these games with you, or just even relationship, whatever it is. I, if I'm upset, I'm going to let you know. If you're upset, you let me know. We're going to work through this together. And, and I think that's a good place to transition as well to um, young Black educators. I think both the brand that everybody's wearing and what it means to be um, who we are in the classroom or as a company providing solutions to other schools. I have uh, the same shirt that Dr. Walker's wore. It's too hot down here um, to put that on. I'm about sweating already. I wore it last time and I almost sweated through it. So I didn't do that to myself today, but I felt so proud to be a young black educator. Even with some of my kids that don't know better, Mr. Game, would you, you decided to be an educator? You wanna be a teacher? You're darn right. You, you're darn right, I did. And I, I felt so proud getting to wear the young black educator gear, one, because it's so fresh, but two, because what it represents for me, um, knowing that I'm in such a minority in our industry. I don't know if that's a question, but it's-, it's <laughs> <laughs> I was just about to say that's, that. That's my feeling. That's just how I feel about young black. Can y'all just talk to me about what it means? Like what, what kind of products are you providing? Am I, am I on to something there? Like am I, is what I'm saying, what y'all are trying to give me? Cause that's just how I'm, that's just how I'm picking it up and how I feel when I'm wearing it. So what are you trying to do with young black educators and how does that support your culturally responsive teaching and, and education power? How do those work together, I guess, or do they? I think when you think about young black educators, I think you're thinking about a movement, right? Um, and, and breaking narratives that have existed around what it means to be a teacher. Because when you see individuals who look like us, who are still, you know, grinding in the entrepreneur space as well, who still have other things that they're passionate about, whether you, you know, you have educators with clothing lines, you have educators who are motivational speakers, 
there's always something that they're able to tap into. But it's this idea of like being an educator does not mean that there's this mundane life where, you know, you don't have where all you do is you go to work and you're tired all the time. And, and, and it's really showing you that like people who are like us, like I, I truly believe that it's the most impactful work that you can do. And so we want I want more people to graduate from universities and actually desire to go into a field in education because it's truly something that can change the world. If we have more individuals who are passionate in their own spaces, who are now going to stand in front of our students and share those passions, but also allow students to share those back into them. What, 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 pass? there's so much power in that. There's so much power in the narratives that can exist in a classroom where you have someone who is, can relate to the students on a certain level, but also take that learning and apply it to the different spaces that they exist. And so I think for me, when you, th when you say young black educators, it's, it's definitely a vibe, but it's also a movement. Mm. And it's shifting the narrative away from what it truly looks like to be a teacher. Wow. I love that. Any, anything else to add there? I mean, I would just add to, like, I think, one, when you look at the numbers by themselves, it's, it's embarrassing, right? So 7% of our teaching population are representative of black teachers, right? Um, so that's 5% black women and 2% black men. And we know that there's way more students who, um, like, you know, way more students who are in our schools than 2% black and 5% um, black women, right? And so there's a lot of kids who are going um, throughout their educational journeys and not seeing anybody who represents their, or who can, like, you know, connect and who they can um, have a certain level of conversations with, right? Like, I went through, I, I taught um, eighth grade and sixth grade English language arts. My entire K-12 experience was filled with white women teaching me English language arts, right? And so the way that I connected with stories, um, the ways that I talked about literature and just like reading in general, right, was different versus than how I was able to do with my students, right? Talk, come, talking from a black male's perspective, um, being the only black male on every reading department that I was ever in, right? I brought a different lens to that room. Even when we were talking about curriculum and instruction, like I brought yeah. different perspective that shaped the way that we even taught in the classroom. So I think that that representation is so important. And like, there's yeah. a lot of uh, black boys I and mean, my, my, my black girls too, they love me and we had great times as well. Right. Um, but my black boys, when we were in the classroom, they felt different about literature because it was, they saw themselves in yeah. teaching it. Right. Yeah. So we had a different level of uh, connection. A lot of boys were like, that's my first time reading a book cover to cover. Um, and my and now reading is my favorite class. And so I think that, that just kind of speaks to the impact that even just having representation can have in a classroom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think that's, that's so real. And I, I did just, it just resonates so deeply. Just, just saying the word young black educator, that, that it by any means necessary, you know, that I have a dream. It just, it just resonates with you. Black educators matter because you, when you see it one-on-one, -on -one, it, it hits different. I, um, I'm going to take it to a basketball reference here. And, and my, my cousin was just talking to me about Damian Lillard and wanting to stay in Portland. He was like, you know, if, if I ask to get traded or if, if I leave education, if I decide not to do this work, that means that not only is my family affected, but other people's are too. And it's a whole trickle down effect. So when like you're in a classroom or when you are one of that 7%, your, your choice to be or to remain a young black educator impacts uh, an, an entire generation or you know who who is the student that comes to class and sees oh or the one that's that is your your student 
And it's like, hey, you know what? I'm I, I'm gonna teach too. Um, and I think that takes me to you know kind of uh, the same lens and in a different lens as well. Like we're obviously we're able to grind in the classroom, but we're also we. I, we wear different hats, you know what I'm saying? When I leave one job, I go to the other. Or when I, I got my podcast, I got, you know, got my book right here. Um, you, you, you do different oh, things. Hello. <laughs> yeah. Every decision counts. Buy it now. You know, it's on the website. <laughs> and I give one away, too, to some lucky uh, guest watching with us right now. But, but being a young Black entrepreneur, that's been something that I've truly been seeking over the past year is a collaboration with young black entrepreneurs and, and it, it's worked, you know, it's, it's just so cool to me to see so many other young black people doing similar type of work where we can collaborate or I, just to see somebody else, young and black doing it, that representation makes a big difference for me. Um, what does that mean for y'all? Like what, why, what does that mean for y'all to be a, a entrepreneur at the same time? So I didn't think it was possible. <laughs> um, never thought, you know, teaching can be uh, an exhausting job going to a nine to five every single day. But I think one of the biggest things is that passion um, and that drive that keeps us going um, for the most part. So I've always juggled about two or three things at one time. But I will say when I joined this group, I was very much more purposeful um, in the business minded of how do we um, bring about entrepreneurs. But then, like you just said, representation matters. Right. I've never met a group like this, like where I'm from. Um, and I've never seen the things that we're doing in the amount of time since we have been a part of um, since we have actually joined um, in this coalition. And I just think it's one of those things where it's like um, we truly are allowed to shine through who we are. Um, like we've all kind of shared uh, a piece of that um, in education powered, right? And bring all of that and continue to juggle those many things. And even though we might be exhausted, we're still hopping on the calls at six o'clock on Monday morning because we got probably like two or three more engagements within the week. Mm -hmm. um, we're talking on Sundays. We're making sure that we're continuing to do the work that is necessary because, and I'm gonna call Andre on this, not too many people are doing what we're doing. He says it all the time, and I love it. Um, and the the more that we can share that bond and grow um, and, and collaborate like we're doing now is one of those things that, you know, we all desire to do to continue to, to make this movement happen. And y'all are doing just that. You're doing just that. Andre, can you go a little bit deeper on, on that comment? Not many people are doing what we're doing. Just unpack that for me. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I like to remind our team almost every week um, of that phrase, just because I know that, like Dr. Walker mentioned, a lot, of the, a lot of the things that we do are driven by passion and inspiration and trying to see a, a larger impact than what we might be able to achieve inside of one classroom or inside of one school. Um, and so I always like to remind us that even when you know, we are getting a little weary and well-doing, or even when things get a little bit more challenging and it's a different time of the school year, this is, nobody's doing what we're doing. And so to remind yourself, remind yourself of that, allow that to be one of your affirmations every day to know that you're going the extra effort, you're doing the extra things, and you're doing all that it's going to take to really see the type of change that we want to see. Because a lot of people in education, we talk about it, right? Mm. But how are we actually walking the walk and talking the talk and the things that we want to see 
and which what type of change are we actually making to make that happen um and so i love to i love to remind our team of that um because it's important it's important that you are encouraging yourself through you know some of the trials that come along with entrepreneurship um because it's not an easy road but when you do have a team and you have you know, folks that are in your corner, you you got to always remind them to keep the main thing the main thing. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't, I did the promise I didn't do that on purpose, but what you just kind of described is um, what the dash means. And there's, there's a wonderful quote by uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson. Uh, it says that the things that are easy to do are easier not to do. And if you do the thing, you'll have the power. And so it, it's those small, seemingly insignificant decisions that you make every single day to end up compounding to create your dash. Your dash is your life. It's, it's the day you're born, it's the day that you die, and the dash is what's in the middle. People mm-hmm. don't remember those dates. They don't, I, I don't, I, hey, I forget what day I'm born sometimes, but but you always, you, you always have that legacy that you're leaving. And so your dash is your decisions every day, but it's the marathon of your life, like Nipsey says, and it's the blueprint. It's the legacy that you leave for those coming behind you. So the way you live your life and the things that you choose to do are a product of the legacy that, that you leave. And so I think what's, what's really awesome and what I've been hearing from um, some different YouTubers I listen to, like the content that we create, the clothes that we produce, the practices that we implement, that's history. And when my, my child grows up or my grandchild grows up, he's now got 200 episodes that he can listen to over four years of all the days that I woke up of, of when we started the Dash podcast, it took me 10 hours an episode to get an episode out because I had no idea what I was doing. Today, by the time we get off, I could have this episode downloaded and uploaded in, in 10 minutes, you know, so the, just the, the evolution um, that we have and that just comes from from simply adding value to people and, and doing the work of, of service, Ser- service leadership with the grind, you know, is, is kind of what we do. Um, man, yeah, y'all have and a, Trey, if, go ahead, go ahead. Trey, if you don't mind, I, I want to kind of add something else here. Cause I love what you said about that dash and about entrepreneurs, right. And what are you doing with the dash in between when you were born and when you're going to leave this, this earth. Right. And I think a, a lot of that is in the fabric of what we do at education powered in trying to empower people to be entrepreneurs. Um, whether that's through our culturally responsive teaching hub, where teachers can literally buy and sell their original instructional materials content um, resources for teachers any of that so we're we're also looking for ways to not only just continue to elevate ourselves in entrepreneurship but also let's bring along some people with us who are also interested in having a larger impact whether that's through the crt hub or whether that's you building your your brand through our um through our consulting collaborative as a consultant and so there's multiple ways that we give people who are involved in our community a way to kind of build their brands and build their entrepreneurship platform to make sure that we, like you mentioned earlier, it's enough food for all of us to eat as, as folks who are trying to build as entrepreneurs. And so we want to make sure that we're providing people with that opportunity with our platform. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I had to pull it up, man. I had to pull it up because it, it is so smooth. I think that's the cool thing, how I mentioned that, you know, when I when I heard education power to young black educators, it, it it just was on me. It just was in me. You know, and similar to what I was saying with the um the dash, it, it just resonates because 
Oh, like Miss Ross said, hey man, all you can be is real. You know, we, we teach who we are every day. If I'm fake, I I I can't I can't win. So I, all I could do is be myself. Y'all have so much going on with the consulting, with the culturally responsive teaching hub, even your different um consultants. You know, I'm I'm in a class with with Miss E and she put on a really dynamic um SEL intensive and, and I, I'm often I'm a critic. You know, my, my start, I was a public speaker. So I, I look at folks, speakers and presentations with a really critical eye. And I'll, I'll, I'll say I wasn't skeptical and none y'all got going on. I was like, man, look, I, I do this. You know what I'm saying? Let me go ahead to my, I'm just playing. But but she really did her thing. And she, she really, you could tell she was an expert. And so just like nobody on y'all panel is playing games, your whole team is, is up to par, is up to standard, is real. Inauthentic. So, so what are some of the other things y'all got? You got young black educators. You got intensive uh, practicums. You got a culturally responsive teaching hub. What else y'all got going on, man? Um, we also have uh, education powered nonprofit, uh, which we call the Powerhouse, um, mm. and is really literally a powerhouse where we are working um, through politics and research to create a, a new model identity-based, identity-centered schools um, and through research and through um, the politics, local politics. Um, our policy director is Mr. Isaiah Carter. Um, and so this is almost like a new entity that we're just getting started, um, starting January 1st of 2021. And we are really doing a lot of big mm. things on that end. Um, we'll be um, in educational conferences, um, releasing our um, culture responsive teaching standards that uh, David and Andre really worked hard on doing the research with um, and just really spreading that research side and, and doing a lot of focus groups um, as well on the nonprofit side. So that's that's also an addition to everything mm. else that we do. Mm. That's amazing. That's amazing. Y'all do a great job of keeping up with all this. How do you keep up with everything? I, we're going to wrap up soon, but how do you how do you juggle all this? Who is is definitely hard. Um, with so many different moving parts and pieces. Um, but I would say I think what centers us the most is probably our vision. Like we know that um, our our collective vision, regardless of what we're doing under this organization, is to spark a revolution through education that will liberate our students and our communities. And so um, what, you, what you're seeing is just us attack, attacking the problem from different angles. Because we know it's not going to just come through the school system right in the classroom. It's not yeah. just come from policy by alone or just like um and even when it comes to entrepreneurship but those things in collaboration right when we get teachers to be more uh, to you know have better compensation and we're providing a different way to get people to financial freedom right to focus on the problem uh, when we're giving people what they need in terms of resources mm -hmm. and in terms of curriculum um when we're working with students and the policy right and the community all together right those things in collaboration I believe can really uh, shift the culture of education and you know manifest this revolution that we're trying to see of having what is what is what does it actually look like for all kids regardless of where they live, what their race and color is, to mm. truly have a great educational experience. Like we talk about that, and we 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 have pieces of what that looks like, but let's actually chart the path of like what is it actually going to take for us to get there. And I'm not talking about three generations later down our lifetime. I'm talking about in our lifetime. Right. What does it actually look like to make that happen in 10 years, right? We need to be having those kind of conversations. Not mm. like that's what we're trying to do from multiple angles, you know, angles. And that's what kind of centers yeah. us in our energy. That makes so much sense. That makes so much sense.
Um, I, I love it, man. I, it's been uh, everything that I expected to be for episode 200. I, I couldn't have had a better guest, um, couldn't have had a better conversation. I could be talking to y'all all night long. Um, <clears throat> but I do want to, to, to come to a close here. It's getting late. I'm ready to see my son. I'm ready to go to bed. Um, and I'm ready to, to get this episode live because I'm going to be promoting it the rest of this week and <clears throat> all next week as well. We're going to chop it down and, and mix it up over on YouTube and we'll have some snippets that we can share with everybody because there's so many gems and it's 45 minutes, man. We could just unpack so many layers of it. Where can the people go to find uh, education powered in, in all of you guys with what you're doing? Um, I think that there's multiple ways to do that. Uh, definitely visit the website, educationpower.org, and also culturallyresponsiveteaching.com uh, just to sort of see some resources. Or my bad, my bad, my bad. It, I got confused. <laughs> I was like, what they saying? Um, for us individually, you know, we all do have personal pages. Um, I don't know if everybody will put theirs out there like that. Mine's a little hard when I say it. So if, if I say it, you're not even really going to be able to know how to follow it, but we tagged on the education powered uh, page somewhere. So you could definitely look there as well. Um, also stay tuned. Uh, we do have a book coming next year. Don't want to give too many details, but uh, definitely look out for that. It's going to be speaking a little bit more to how to apply this idea of culturally responsive teaching in the classroom. Um, but other than that, I don't know if y'all have anything else. Y'all, if I miss anything. Also, if you are a Black educator, follow us at Young Black Educators on Instagram as well. That is our sister account where we like to highlight uh, great things that Black we see Black educators doing. So uh, follow us at Education Powered and at Young Black Educators. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, David, I saw you made a comment the other day as well about um, just being kind of shocked that people are wearing your brands in photo shoots. I think a, a young man graduated from Morehouse and all over the place and, and you know there, there's some there's real education brands out there teach hustle inspire um mm -hmm. the hbcu brand there's real brands that y'all are right there amongst you know the or, or i don't know I, I'm, I'm just saying all the real brands like when i think about education like man you know what i need to reload for next school year it's like right. like top three top four kind of groups and, and y'all are young black educators is it so i'm surprised if if, if somebody hasn't heard of y'all yet um, and, and I couldn't, I can't leave uh, the episode without talking at least a little bit about SEL and, and more specifically our platform, SEL Educators. And so SEL Educators has been our baby the last year. This is how I really got in contact with uh, young Black educators. I was looking at other people that were doing similar work. And this is the, the first and only platform dedicated to adult social emotional learning. Over the past year, we've had 90 educators come through the program. Um, and if we've delivered over 290 assessments with educators and come up with this program that is SEL Foundations, a free course bundle, a three course bundle for um, the summertime to give schools and individuals a real foundation for how to implement and take next steps with SEL in your school community. We've got the membership bundle. That's the full program that includes emotional intelligence assessment with a personal professional development plan in our school wide bundle, which is the same thing, but school wide. So check us out at SELeducators.com. 
enrollment is live right now and, and we're so excited to to be with you and grateful that that y'all joined us uh for the dash podcast episode 200 so if you like it share it with your friends and we'll see you next time this is the dash <laughs>